Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. Well, this has uh, been a rather interesting year. Pandemic, a record number of hurricanes in the Atlantic, wildfires engulfing the West Coast, a divisive presidential election. And many people have wondered, is this the end? <laughs> and I would say it's actually not just Christians. Even people who don't profess to follow Jesus are wondering what's going on in the world and what is it pointing to? People have those questions, and they should. And some followers of Jesus, what we find is, is those that call themselves the disciples, they were, they were wondering the same thing 2,000 years ago. They asked Jesus, when would things come to an end? And Jesus gave them some answers. So if we really want to understand what's going on in the world today, it would do us well to see what Jesus has to say about it. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you do. I hope you've got God's word with you today. Uh, if you're new to Connection Point Church, we say that just as a, a reminder, we want you daily in God's Word, not just here. So we want you to have God's Word with you on a daily basis. And, and what I'm going to do is invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 24 as we continue our Better Together series with the talk about Jesus and end times. I'd also like to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Uh, we stand just to show reverence to the fact that these are God's words to us, and, and we don't take that for granted. And so we're going to be Matthew chapter 24, first 14 verses. We'll cover a couple other verses as part of the message. Uh, but here's what we find that Matthew records. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. Basically, Jesus, aren't these buildings magnificent? But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold." But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. What a fun passage. <laughs> we left off a couple of weeks ago in our Better Together series with a message on Jesus and politics. And in that message, we discovered God establishes his kingdom, his way, and his time. And as God's people seek him and engage in his mission, this is how it advances. And, and that's what we're a part of. 
if people of God are willing to humble themselves, pray, seek him, and turn from evil, then God advances his kingdom in a nation. That's how it's done. And from our passage this morning, we find that once the mission is fulfilled, so we know how to do it, and once it's done, then the end comes. There there is something about sharing of the good news of Jesus that's tied to when Jesus comes and finally sets all things straight. You know, as we have stated while we're moving through the series that we have a king, we live in a kingdom, God's word is our guide, and we have a mission to fulfill. And when we fulfill that mission, everyone hearing about the good news of Jesus, our king comes again to consummate his rule and will finally be home. That's what we have before us. But there are some interesting things that happen as God establishes his rule on earth, as it is in heaven. We find from our passage that as God's rule is established, false forms of worship are done away with. It's part of what we find. So God is establishing his rule. Interesting thing happens, and and one of those is false forms are gone. Our passage tells us Jesus left the temple, was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. You see, Jesus has never been impressed with our buildings. He is far more concerned with how many we send than with how many we seat. You need to hear that this morning. That's what Jesus is concerned with. How many are we sending, not how many are we seating? So why was God going to allow the temple in Jerusalem to be torn down? That's what Jesus is predicting. I'd say it's the same reason over 100 churches close every week in the U.S. Because it was no longer fulfilling its purpose in the world. That's why. In April of 2019, I shared a message from our Luke series on step into your extraordinary life. And I worked through the passage in Luke chapter 19 where it records the events of Jesus flipping over the money changers' tables in the court of the Gentiles. If you were here, you likely remember that message because I flipped over tables. That was a fun day. It was fun to call Pastor Jim earlier in the week to say, so I'd like to flip some tables. How do we do that? Jim's like, uh, are you serious? So I practiced with a wooden table, obliterated it, and realized we've got to use plastic tables. So if you didn't watch that message, go back and watch it. It'd help you understand a bit of the context of of what Jesus' statement is here. Because what we discovered in that message is Jesus flips tables in the temple courts because the people of God had missed their mission. That's why he did it. When Jesus quotes from Isaiah about his house being a house of prayer, the context of that passage is that all nations would come into the temple, that they would freely worship the living God together from all classes, all races, but that's not what was happening. And so Jesus, the Messiah, was upset So he flips tables in the court of the Gentiles and he drives all of the people out that were in the temple as though to show them this is what you're doing and it's not okay. Worship in the temple, as it turns out in that first century, it was really no longer about worship. It was instead a business benefiting benefiting a few instead of a place of guaranteed encounter. That's not good. And so it became a false form 
of worship. And so then what happens is in AD 70, we find this prophecy of Jesus fulfilled as the Roman general Titus, he surrounds Jerusalem, and five months later, the temple is torn down and burned. So what Jesus predicted came true. If you visit Jerusalem today, you will see huge boulders that the Roman soldiers threw over the edge. Those are massive. I don't know how they did it. It's like a 2,000-year-old memorial of what happens when we set up false forms of worship. Those rocks are still there. You can see it today. What's in Scripture is true. Archaeology displays it. It shows it. You see, the people of God were always meant to share the goodness of God with others. But it seems we have a natural drift away from that mission. We instead come to enjoy the blessings of God because if you've walked with Jesus any length of time, you understand God does bless us. But there's a reason in Psalm 67 that he says we've been blessed to be a blessing. And when we just enjoy the blessings of God and don't translate those blessings into blessings for others, we get off track. It seems the things of this world can get in the way, even good things, like buildings dedicated to God as the temple had been in the first century. Good things can get in the way of God's great things. So what happens when people make an idol of things? What happens when people make an idol of church building? What happens when people make their career their main objective? What happens when people put their family above everything else, including God? You can put anything in there. Sports, money, anything. What happens when we put those things above our devotion to God and his mission on the earth? Our loving, let me say this, our loving and jealous God, he comes in and he breaks things up. He comes and he wars against those things that come between us and him. That's what God's wrath is. Like we get afraid of God's wrath. We should appreciate the wrath of God because he wars against those things which come against our unadulterated worship of him. He comes against those things which keeps us from stepping into the good works he's prepared for us. Thank you, God, for that. We shouldn't be afraid of that work. We should be thankful that God loves us enough to come against those things which don't help us. So that's the question this morning. What things have gotten in the way of you experiencing everything that God has for you? It's likely you know what those things are. What are those things? Even good things. Have you just added Jesus to your life or have you made him the center? Think about what we do on a Sunday. You know, we're committed to setting up places of guaranteed encounter. I kind of explained that. But even this, if all this is, is you're checking off a weekly checkbox to say, now I'm following Jesus, this can actually get in the way. It's not meant to be though. Why? Because God wants to be with you tomorrow morning. The creator of the universe wants time with you. How do we miss that? He wants to be a part of your Tuesday. He wants to be a part of your Wednesday lunch discussion. He wants to be with you every day. Would you let him be there? Give him that access with every interaction, every decision, every day. Because as God's rule is established in our lives, he gets rid of false forms of worship. But what else do we find from our passage? As God's rule is established, the enemy will increase lawless works, the passage says. The disciples understand with Jesus' statement about the destruction of the temple that he's referring to the coming of the king who would bring about the day of the Lord. And so they ask him, tell us, Jesus, when will this be and what will be the sign of your coming in the complete end of this age? So Jesus gives them a list. Verse 5, 
many will deceive. Verse 6, wars and rumors of wars. Verse 7, nations will rise against nations. Famines and earthquakes. Wildfires on the west coast. A, a record number of hurricanes in the Atlantic. The unrest in cities around the world. But these are just the beginning of sorrows. But why does lawlessness increase? Why, why is that? It's because our enemy knows he's lost. Satan is a defeated foe. His days are numbered. But in his retreat, Satan is still trying to wreak havoc upon the earth. Scripture tells us he prowls about, seeking people to devour. He steals, kills, and destroys. But what we need to keep in mind in the middle of it all is Jesus is victorious and he's on his throne. So even though lawlessness will increase, it says it will, we have a king and we live in his unshakable kingdom. So we don't have to be afraid. We don't need to worry. What's the worst thing that could happen? We die? Oh, well, don't throw me in the briar patch. Like, we'll be home. Why do we fear that? So if you're concerned about an increase in lawlessness, let's follow in the footsteps of those who've gone before us and faced incredible challenges in the faith. The writer of Hebrews declares it. Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses in the life of faith, we can look at these examples in Scripture and Christian history. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Shed it. Get rid of it. Don't be enslaved by it. Instead, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. If, it ever, if you ever get a little bit tired, it's because we're in a race. So don't get bothered by weariness. Just make sure you're plugged into the right thing to carry you through. And how do we do this? The writer of Hebrews says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. If you're struggling with fear, turn off your TV. Get off social media. Get back into God's word and into prayer. What you're consuming is what will feed your soul. So what are you feeding on right now? If you're fearful, I can tell you what you're feeding on. If you're bold and victorious, I can tell you also what you're feeding on. So what are the inputs right now? Because it determines your outputs. Time in God's word and prayer. How do we keep our eyes on Jesus? That's it. Abide. You know, if you've been in this church any length of time, you know that word. And it's what helps you run with endurance the race that's set before us. And this matters because as God's rules established on earth, the enemy will increase as lawless works. So if we know it, let's prepare for it. And as God's rules established, many will fall away from Jesus. That's what our passage tells us. As Jesus continues to list the signs of the end times, he goes on to list martyrdoms, hatred for Jesus' sake. Verse 9, it's estimated that since Jesus told the disciples this 2,000 years ago, he made this statement, martyrdoms. It's estimated 70 million believers have been killed for Jesus' sake in 2,000 years of church history. 70 million. Has this happened? Yes. Many offended, verse 10, betraying one another. Verse 11, false prophets leading people astray. Uh, this happens even now with, with things like the prosperity gospel, leading people away from the scriptural and Christian historical truth that God has always advanced his people through the enduring love of his suffering saints. That's just what he does. Like we like to, and let me say this, I don't like to suffer. 
I don't like hardship. Who likes that? If you raise your hand, we've got counselors for you. Like, that's not normal. But at the same time, what we find in Scripture is that's just part of the Jesus way. In this life, you will have trouble. But don't stop there. Don't worry. I've overcome the world. That's the promise there. So it's okay. But I will say this. You've got to have good things in your life to walk through it. Verse 12. Love growing cold. Division increasing. Does this kind of sound familiar? Our world's a little crazy right now. If we were to continue to read through Matthew chapter 24, what we find is that while the world grows increasingly crazy, people will be like they were in the days of Noah. It says, this is a description, so I want to jump ahead to another part of section 24, because really the whole chapter Jesus is addressing end times. And here's another section of it. Here's what he says in, in Matthew 24, verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One taken, one left. Therefore, stay awake! For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So when Jesus talks about Matthew 24 in the days of Noah, what, what does he describe? He describes people just doing their normal things. Eating, drinking, getting married, doing family stuff. And boom! The flood came. That's the days of Noah. Jesus says, when I come back, I'm coming back to judge. And it's going to be like the days of Noah. Before judgment, people are just going to be doing their own thing. That's what it's going to look like. It's important we understand that end times is about Jesus coming back to judge the world. So when Jesus comes back, there's a reason. He's going to set everything straight, which includes a judgment seat. So I was working through this passage. And what you do when you, when you work through a passage, you just pull out the verses. What's, what's happening here? How do you create the outline? out of that? that's, that's all you're doing. And I got to the line, many will fall away. It bothers me. It bothers me. Instead of close my laptop, just mourn the people who knew Jesus. I said, I don't want anything to do with them anymore. They wind up betraying the body of Christ. They walk away. And I, I will say this, I don't think that has to be some dramatic kind of thing, like somebody's all of a sudden got addicted to drugs or alcohol and their life is a mess. I think it's as simple as a pandemic hits. People walk away, go about their lives, doing family stuff, and boom, Jesus comes. It's as simple as that. I'm concerned as a pastor. Thursday and Friday, man, I was weighed down looking at this. Many will fall away. Spend their Sundays on sports fields and state parks, shopping for groceries, going to school, but avoiding Christian community. Jesus help us. And the enemy of our souls will use this as an opportunity to lead people astray. Church researchers have estimated 20% of people will not return to their congregations when this pandemic is over. 
led astray. What I've seen from churches across the country, I'm connected to lots. They're not far off. When I look at the greater Lafayette community, I'm not sure people are real concerned about the judgment of God. Judgment day. And look, I get it. Who wants to think about judgment? No one. But to ignore the fact that a judgment day is coming, it doesn't do us any favors. Now look what we find. Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky, they fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. I don't know, that, that causes me pause, what they had done. Because there's something about our followership of Jesus when we devote our lives to him that our lives reflect it out of a sense of gratitude for what God has done for us. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is describing something that's actually going to happen. Remember, God's word is our guide. In our message on Jesus and scripture, we discovered scripture, it's true. This passage is real. And that's what I'm concerned about. Right now, we're here sitting on earth, but at any minute, we could be standing before his throne with the God who's surrounded by angels. And in that moment, he will decide whether we spend all of eternity in glory or all of eternity in agony based on how we responded to Jesus. And it's crazy to me how people are just moving through life as though that's not really going to happen. And yet this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. That people are just going to go on with life. And so I see the craziness of life right now, and I just wonder about the response of people. And I'm sure some of you are thinking, well, I don't believe in a judgment. I don't believe God's that way. But I'd have to ask, why? Because in your mind, you don't think he's going to be that way? You're just going to go with whatever your thoughts or feelings are? For 2,000 years, people have lived and died by God's word. They've understood it to be true. And not just because of how predicted events have come true, there's lots of those, and not just because archaeology demonstrates and proves it to be true, but because we serve a resurrected king who we have experienced and been changed by, some of us in this room, and some of us online in our living rooms. That's why I hold this to be true, because we know what scripture says about him is true, so we know that all of scripture is true. And so when we read these verses in Revelation, we know they're true. And it's going to be like the days of Noah with people going through the motions, eating, celebrating holidays, carrying on with life, people more concerned with the pandemic and an election than the eternal judgment of God. And I don't mean to make you uncomfortable this morning, but I'm just, I'm out of play. I'm not doing you any favors to say nothing. This has really bothered me the last couple of weeks. Every drive through I've gone through, and I think I look at that person's face, I don't know where they're at to know that many will fall away. We can't do nothing about that. We can't. What I'm concerned about is the way people seem to view salvation compared to what I find in Scripture. And that's where I really think this stems from. 
People who tell me they've prayed something they call the sinner's prayer and they've asked Jesus to come into their heart, you know, whatever that means. And they're safe, they're all good. But then I have to tell people, you know there's no sinner's prayer in scripture, right? It's not there. Following Jesus is not about praying a prayer and making a one-time decision. It's about a lifetime of obediently serving the king out of a gratitude for what he's done for us. We, who were enemies of God, I'll make it, I, who was an enemy of God, now I'm in relationship with God the Father because of what the Son has done. And so I live a life of gratitude because of it. And I tell others about it and how wonderful he is, like a treasure hidden in a field. Then I've got people ask about, well, what about 1 John 5, 13? Where John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. So we can know. And so people are like, well, I'm confident of that, you know, and, and, and my belief in Jesus. But here's the thing. This verse is true, absolutely. But the question is, here's what the verse says. I write these things. Okay, so what are those things? Here's what they are. 1 John 1, 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. What are these things he writes? 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. How are we doing? Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John 3, 6 through 8. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So why do we live in them? You see, first John is saying, look, if you hate your brother or sister, if you don't care for the poor, if you love the things of this world, you are not a believer. But if you can see the love of the Father in your heart, you can't keep sinning because his spirit is in you. You can't hate your brother and sister because there's this desire for unity. And you can't hate your enemies because God loves them too. And you can't help but want to serve because Jesus came to serve. Like these become evidences of salvation that you're in the kingdom. These were the things that were written so you would know that you have eternal life. It's more than a prayer. It's about the Spirit coming in and transforming your life, making you this new creation, almost unrecognizable to anybody that knew you in the past. As we close today, we need to get on our faces before a living God, the one who will judge the living and the dead. Let's not miss this moment to decide to move forward differently as followers of Jesus. Let's not miss it. If you realize today you've not been walking in the truth, it's time to change that. That's why I share this. Why? I don't share it out of condemnation or judgment. Absolutely not. I share it because I want different. I want different than many fell away. It might be in scripture, but it doesn't have to be you. It's a choice. So let's make things right with God before we see him face to face. Before it. Because we find from our passage, as God's rule is established, Many will fall away, but it doesn't have to be you. You can be among those who endure to the end, the passage says. Because we find God's rule 
will be established by those who endure and share good news. God's rule will be established by those who endure and share that good news. We find the endurance of faithful saints. This is actually a sign itself because long suffering is going to be required to make it all the way to the end. So I'm just gonna be upfront with you there. So it's gonna be required. We could make the argument, let me say this, that everything we've just walked through in the first 13 verses of this passage has already happened in history. It's already been done. Dick Brogdon, he was here two years ago preaching from this passage and, and he said the same thing. Now the last one you might say, well, I haven't suffered unimaginable things. But let me tell you, globally, men and women through the centuries have and still do today. Might not be your experience, but it's absolutely the experience of the church, the capital C church. Every single one of these things we've talked about has happened. Every one. But then Jesus gives the end of time definitive sign, and it's also our mandate. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. 13 verses done, the 14th is what remains. So I want to break this sentence down since it appears to be all that remains for Jesus to come again. It appears this is all that has to be done for Victory Day to happen. We've had our D-Day at the cross. We're waiting on V-Day, and we're close. We're so close. So here's the first phrase, the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, The New Testament book of Mark, it opens with a description of the ministry of Jesus. And here's what it says about the ministry of Jesus. That Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And I shared in the message I kicked off this series about Jesus and the good news of the kingdom. I unpacked this at great depth. So I encourage you, if you've not seen it, please go back. Connectionpointchurch.org and watch that message. It helps to explain what the ministry of Jesus was. And it was all about the gospel of the kingdom. I'll give a short summary that Jesus says the time is fulfilled. So what time is Jesus talking about? The time for God to come and interrupt history, to inaugurate his rule on earth as it is in heaven. That time has come. Praise God. And and so what happens is this happens through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. His rule is inaugurated. It's kicked off. We're in that right now. And so then Jesus preaches the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, but for there to be good news, there has to be bad news. And the bad news was we had given up our role as co-governors with God in Eden, and evil entered the earth. So that was the bad news. We had Satan, and we had settled for Satan's apple when God had offered us the rest of the garden. Let me say that again. We settled for Satan's apple when God had offered us the rest of the garden. And I think we could still have that tendency today. With the coming of Jesus, the kingdom of God was at hand, and the kingdom of God has to do with reign and rule, not so much realm. That the kingdom of God is a time when God rules. A time when God steps into the scene and ushers in his kingdom. And this is both a future event and it's a present reality. God's kingdom is here. God's kingdom is coming. God's kingdom will come. And so, in short, where the king is, there the kingdom is. Man, is the king in your heart. The kingdom's there. Where the king is exercising his sovereign authority, there the kingdom is. And the way we enter the kingdom, Jesus then says, repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance describes what takes place when we enter the kingdom. 
that repentance is a denial of self. It's an, it's an overthrow of Satan's rule in your life. All other kingdoms must give in to God's rule. All other allegiances have to be done away with. And yet, as Tozer would say, we have a whole new generation of Christians who have come up believing it's possible to accept Christ without forsaking the world. It's not true. The problem I've found is a lot of people really aren't looking to be saved from their sins. They just want to be saved from the penalty of their sins. But this isn't right. If you're living in sin, you're trapped. Do you know that? If you're continuing with sin, you're actually enslaved to it. And you are not meant to be enslaved by anything. Jesus came to set you free. You were not born to be a slave. You were meant to be free, and Jesus died for this. And repentance is the way to experience it. You say, God, I'm sorry for the way I've chosen to live. Thank you, Jesus, for dying so I can live free from the evil effects of sin. Help me walk through the narrow gate. Help me avoid the wide path that leads to destruction. King Jesus overthrow Satan's rule in my life. That's the invitation. That's repentance. And out of gratitude for what Jesus has done, we then live different. We no longer live as slaves to sin, but we are now free, free to love God, free to love others, free to give mercy to others because we've been shown mercy by God. This is the gospel of the kingdom. And Matthew 24, 14 concludes, continues and says that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. So this is verse 14, Matthew 20, 14, 24, 14. It's going to be proclaimed, it says, as shared by <clears throat> Alan Johnson during a missions conference. The people of God participate in the mission of God. And this is good news proclamation. The New Living Translation says the good news about the kingdom will be preached. But I want to be clear this morning. Preaching is not confined to this space, to this room, or even to this building. The good news is not meant to primarily come forth from buildings like these. Preaching biblically is the verbal proclamation of all God's people. In the marketplace, in your living room, in coffee shops, in restaurants, around neighborhood bonfires, in buses, in cars, in streets, in the park, on campuses, through art, through music, in dance, in video, in writing, through every medium through every personality, through every gift, preaching is meant to be a priority for all of God's people. We all preach because the people of God participate in the mission of God. You and I are commanded to preach. You've been instructed to open your mouth and present the good news of the kingdom of God. It's not my job. It's our job. It's our job. Our role is so biblically clear. We are messengers. We are heralds of hope. People who point to a coming king. And this is why spirit filling the Bible is always affecting our speech. This is why Jesus gave us the spirit. Old Testament prophets, New Testament people from Zechariah to Mary to Elizabeth to John to Jesus to Stephen to Peter to Paul. The spirit outpoured at Pentecost. When Jesus becomes so real to us, the fire of heaven is kindled within, and we're so delighted in Jesus, we can't contain him. It's like a fire within our bones that our mouths have to open and declare the world, the majesty that's been unleashed within us. The presence of God, it consumes your thoughts, emotions, and feelings, and Jesus is so big, he's so beautiful. 
We can't hold it in and we have to express him to the world. Which is why we become compelled to talk about Jesus then early and often. Because the wonder of Jesus, it can't be contained in these vessels of clay. It has to emerge from us somehow. And if you're struggling to proclaim the good news of king and kingdom, it makes me wonder if you've really met him yet. He's so magnificent, so wonderful, that to really encounter him creates this overwhelming desire to somehow talk about it. Some way, somehow. And we say with Jesus from Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news. I must preach the kingdom of God in other cities also, for I came to seek and save the lost. For this purpose I have been sent. We join Jesus in that. And so all of us must stand in the marketplace and lift our voice to address the bad news of our times. And we, have, we proclaim this wonderful good news we have and we say it in every way possible, there's hope, there's healing, there's freedom, there's life. Jesus came to inaugurate the rule of God and his kingdom is ever advancing on earth and he is coming back very soon and I don't want you to miss it. We all have that opportunity. But I get it. Look, I've grown up in the, in the church and I wasn't really raised to proclaim if I'm honest. And so then we have to actually move past that some way. And I guess my invitation to you is just start to do something. Be willing to make mistakes and let Jesus clean it up and do what he does. Just, just allow him to do it. I might go to Starbucks once a month or every two months, not very often, but we ran out of coffee Thursday morning. And that's a problem. So... I went through, somebody said, that's an emergency. <laughs> Can you call 911 for that? <laughs> and so I, I went through Starbucks on Thursday morning. It was early. I hadn't had coffee, so I don't talk, you know. And so, but the guy at the window, like, he just starts to engage with me. He says, what are you doing today? Ah, working. <laughs> like, God is pitch hitting me opportunities. Oh, where do you work at? Oh, Connection Point Church. Oh, well, what do you do there? It's like, it's what point do we catch on, right? My gosh. Well, he gives me my coffee, I pull away, and I'm like, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm going to do better. I share this with you to say, just allow the Lord to start pointing out, and he'll do it. And then the next time, do it better. It's all right. But let's join Jesus in the work he's doing. I was checking out at Meyer yesterday, and there's a guy, his name was Simeon. Talk about an open door. Like, do you know what your name means, you know? I did ask him how he was doing. He kind of talked about his day. And I, part of it for me right now is what I'm rehearsing, because, again, I didn't grow up in, in a congregation or in a church setting where I was encouraged to, or even modeled or given examples of how do you, how do you proclaim well. And, and so walking away, so in every interaction now, I'm debriefing that in my mind to say, how could I do that better than that? How could I talk about Jesus there somehow? You know what's real simple? Here's what I have found. Very few people refuse prayer, especially right now. How are you doing? They'll say something. Nah, how are you really doing? What can I pray, what can I pray with you about? That's a really great opportunity right now. So I'm sharing with you what the Lord is teaching me, and I would say, as the Lord is showing you, how about we start talking about that so we can collectively learn better ways to be proclaimers? 
And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. The global population now exceeds 7 billion people. We just had our missions conference. That's actually why I, I put this message here, is because there's something tied to missions as it relates to end times. 42% of that 7 billion are considered unreached or unengaged, as displayed on our wall of the unreached in hallway 2. So that word nations in Greek, in, in original New Testament language, it's ethne. That it doesn't refer to nation states like we have today, but people groups. So it's not just like Yemen and Honduras and Spain. No, it's actually people groups within those nation states. That's what this verse is referring to. So every people group will have opportunity to hear, Jesus is saying, of which there are many within our nation states today. 7,000 plus unreached people groups will hear, and it's our job to tell them. Some will get to, some we are going to be able to tell from Purdue University. Some will get to tell as we support our global partners. Some we get to tell as our next door neighbors. So, so we moved a couple of months ago into a townhome, and, and we've got um, three guys uh, who are graduate students at Purdue. They're, they're from India. I went to uh, winterize my motorcycle yesterday, and, and I hadn't started for like a week or two. So I cranked that bad, but 1,700 cc's, it is a, it's a bike, you know? Well, it sounded like gunfire going off in front of our townhome. One of those guys busted out of there. Like, that was a great opportunity to talk about, I could talk about end times. Like, he thought that was the end of the days. <laughs> you never know what the entry point's going to be. Start up a motorcycle, sounds like gunfire, and talk about Jesus. But we have these opportunities, both here and with our global partners abroad, to proclaim it. Are we doing it? And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. When we have done our job, Jesus will come again. It's that simple. As it relates to end times, there's a people part and there's a God part. It's really not that complicated. We like to complicate end times sometimes. We get out charts and diagrams and all these things. Honestly, it's not hard. There's a people part. There's a God part. We do our part. God's going to be faithful to his heart. That's it. Jesus comes. So the invitation this morning is this. Let's do this together. Come and do it with Shelly and me. We don't know what we're doing, but we'll figure it out. Come and do it with Mick and Deanne, who are prayer walking down on Cincinnati Street. Come and do it with our global partners like Dick and Jen and Saudi. We can do this together because Jesus is coming again. All of these signs have been completed but one. But one. And if we do our part, Jesus is sure to do his, guaranteed. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations. And Jesus arrives and finishes the work. And when Jesus comes again, he will bring perfect justice. He will dethrone evil rulers. He will make everything right as his rule is finally and fully established on earth as it is in heaven. So I would say, let's not fall too in love with this world and forget the mission before us. How selfish would it be for us that while Christians are being killed for Jesus' sake in other parts and places of this world. And that's not some flippant statement. If you were here last September, you got to see pictures of some of those shared by my mentor who we worked with in Jerusalem. That's happening. But how selfish would it be for us to simply go on eating and drinking and working jobs, trying to make a name for ourselves, building up retirement accounts, forgetting we have a mission to fulfill? Let's not do that. Because we've got Christians in other parts and places of this world fulfilling Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, 
They're conquering Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. So let's be careful not to love our lives too much here. Let's not grow too comfortable with our false home. Jesus is coming again, so let's live like it. And let's hasten the day because his return is what will ultimately set everything straight. Can we work towards some human kind of justice here? Yes, but we really want to see Jesus come most of all. The phrase from our passage this morning, those who endure to the end will be saved. I'm telling you what, so as I struggled with many will fall away, I started leaning into those who endure to the end will be saved. And that was my source of encouragement because I think that's what needs to be figured out right now. How do we become bulletproof? How do we become those who endure to the end? And, and so as we continue in this series, what I want to do is, is just get into what are those practices, what are those things that help us do that? I, want, I feel incredibly responsible to help firm up the foundation of your faith. That was part of the goal this year because we realized through the summer some people probably had more sand in their foundation than they thought. And so we said, well, how do we firm that up? So a couple things. Number one, we're going to talk about these things on a Sunday. But number two, you need to be in community. So people are in life groups. And here in the next couple of weeks, we want to open those up again, actually add more groups. We really want to see everyone in a life group. Why? Because you need community. The other reason is, is because then the discussion is around these topics because you need to firm up the foundation of your faith. So my encouragement is, get plugged in that way. God's rule is being established on earth, and as it is, it's important we be among those who endure to the end. And how do we do that? By staying involved with our Christian community, studying God's word together, spending time in prayer, and engaging in the mission. Those are things of endurance. They really are. And so we want to spend some time talking about those in the coming weeks and months. Uh, There is something I've wondered in the midst of this whole pandemic. I've actually wondered how quickly could God make a way for all those unreached people groups to hear? And I've wondered that because what my curiosity is, is is there anybody on earth today that hasn't heard of COVID or coronavirus? Right? I mean, it seems like it's touched about every corner of the globe. So if a pandemic can spread, how could God's word spread? How could his kingdom advance? Right? I really believe it could happen just as quickly that all of those unreached on the wall in a moment could hear if God ordained it. He really could. It's possible in our day. It really is. Our world is more connected than it's ever been, which is why we have this incredible opportunity to together influence every networking group in our world today. Together we can do that. With, the other, with other parts and, and bodies of Christ, we can get that done. And that's our opportunity. But I also wonder how many of us are taking advantage of that opportunity, participating in the mission of God, or how many of us are simply going on about life unaware that Jesus could return very soon. Consider this, when Jesus comes again, will you be found among the faithful who endure to the end? Or will you be among the many eating and drinking, marrying and raising kids, carrying on with life as though we have no king, no kingdom, or mission to fulfill? Where are you going to be found? There's things you should put as a part of your life. As as the music team plays, we're going to close. I just encourage us, turn to God. And look, if that's through singing, great. If that's by you making your chair an altar, do it. If that's by you at home making your couch a place of prayer, do that. But let's close today with our focus on God that we might start living lives of truth, as 1 John would write. I'm going to invite you to stand as as we close in song this morning. We should make it a priority 
get right with God and be devoted to him before we see him face to face. Maybe today is the day you get on your knees, you picture Jesus on his throne in all his glory, and you say, Jesus, I believe you created this world. I believe you died for me, and I'm so happy to receive you as my king. Maybe today's that day for you. So are you here today, and you realize you're not walking in truth, that you haven't been. But today, right now, you want to begin to fully live in the Father's love. Right now, you can make that decision to walk in truth. And this is more than a prayer. It's more than a one-time decision. It's a lifetime of walking with Jesus and others in his church. But this moment can start it. This can start it. It kicks it off. So with every head bowed, I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand if I'm speaking to you this morning. To say, that's me. I want to be a person prepared to meet Jesus. A person who walks in truth. So who here today wants to start walking in truth? that you might know you have eternal life. Who here today says, that's me? I've not been walking in truth, but I want to walk in truth. Over here in the back, anybody else? This is your day. Over here on the left, anybody else? can know, but you got to have God's work in your life to live like that. You can't do that on your own. It's not really about what you're doing. It's about your response to the King. God, I just pray for those that raise their hands today. You know where they're at and you know their hearts for you. And so God, I just pray that you would strengthen them. God, I pray that their lives would truly be different. Holy Spirit, come change from within. Transform hearts, we ask. Jesus, I just pray that there are people in this space today as we looked at these scriptures in 1 John and they've realized maybe for the first time, you know what? I made a decision, but I really didn't make a commitment. But I pray, Jesus, that a commitment is made to obediently live for the King, that they might know they have eternal life. Help us live for you, God. Help us endure to the end. Help this congregation, everyone here, people tuned in online, overflow rooms. May we be people who endure to the end because we've put the right things in our lives. Living in community, studying your word, spending time in prayer, engaged in your mission. That's what leads to endurance. Help us, Jesus, we ask. In your name we pray. Amen. Music team's gonna play. A, a couple of people raised their hands, but maybe you didn't and, and you realize you needed to, or you should have. So I would encourage you as they begin to sing, if we could have a couple of our prayer team members at the foot of the cross, that's the place to go, that's the target. Just as they sing, or people begin to pray at their seats and make their seat an altar, if you wanna come up here and pray it at these steps, that's fine too. But I would encourage you, come up and meet with some of our prayer team members. Why? Because again, I said, it's not just a prayer. It's not a one-time decision. It's a lifetime. And so we want to talk with you about how do you do that? How do you do it well? And I was thinking about this as I was looking over my notes this morning, you know? I know, I know sometimes people don't want to come up front. They might be embarrassed, but I can tell you, Jesus was not too embarrassed to hang naked on a cross. You don't need to be embarrassed to walk forward in a room of people 100% for you. And understand that's the best decision you could ever make in your life you will be celebrated today like you've never been celebrated before. So if that's you today, just come. Come meet with our prayer team members so that we can give you information on what it looks like to follow Jesus for a lifetime. Let's sing.